said, well, the farm bill always passes on time. They reauthorize it every five years like clockwork. And unfortunately, <laughs> that's not yet how it played out. The, the farm bill actually got punted into next year. No conference can start until there are top line numbers. We're now in December. We're already in the middle of fiscal year and there are no top line numbers. The, the appropriators in the House and the Senate, Democrats and Republicans still do not see eye to eye. A lot of these meetings, we, we tend to be asking them for something. We're doing the ask on, you know, we could use this funding or we could use this program. But this is also a good time to let them know not only what is needed, but what is currently working. They want to hear those success stories. They want to know how you've been using the funding, how you've been using these grants, and the good that it's doing in their community. This is In the Know with ACCT, the voice of community college leaders. I'm Kaylee Woods. Appropriations bills, power transitions, funding deadlines. ACCT's public policy team is here to get you all caught up on the latest action in Washington as our members prepare to meet with their legislators and advocate for their students at the 2024 Community College National Legislative Summit. Hi everyone, I'm Rosario Duran. I'm the Senior Government Relations Associate here at ACCT. Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm Jose Miranda, Director of Government Relations. Hello, all. Uh, Carrie Warwick-Smith, Vice President, Public Policy at ACCT. Jose and Rosario, it's been a really busy uh, last three months for Congress, uh, not necessarily in the way we may have hoped in terms of passing legislation, uh, but certainly a lot of action. You know, let's dive right in uh, with what's happened, particularly uh, in the House before we move into the legislative update. So, Jose, why don't you kick us off with the drama? Yeah, uh, drama is one way to put it. It's it's feel like we should have grabbed our bag of popcorn and seen seen all this develop. But you know, we we had a speaker at the beginning of this year who took several rounds to get elected, and and that speaker is gone. Um, but before that speaker was gone, we averted our, our shutdown, which seemed very, very imminent leading up to the very last day. Um, then we had an ousted speaker. And before we got a new speaker, there were several names who were thrown in the hat, several names who got the nomination from the majority party. And then we threw their names um, until we eventually landed on Speaker Johnson, who, to a very pleasant surprise for many of us, has been able to navigate what has been very challenging end of the year cycle around appropriations. So we've averted shutdown not just once, but twice. And and we now get to avoid the holiday crunch of uh, a new another deadline right around the holidays. They've punted um, the deadline for appropriations until January, which is, is great for everybody doing their holiday planning. It is a little stressful for all of us who are following negotiations and trying to make sure that our programs get the funding investments that they need. Uh, yeah, that's that's a really interesting point that, uh, at least here in Washington, we are accustomed uh, to Congress not finishing their appropriations business by September 30, uh, which is the end of the fiscal year. And they almost always, uh, at least over the last decade or so, have used the holidays as a motivator uh, to get Congress to cut a deal for the, the fiscal funding year. Um, and this year, they have actually extended that into a split deadline that we'll get to uh, in a little bit in the new year. 
Uh, but with some of the other changes, I'm sure everyone has seen in the news uh, that George Santos has been historically removed from Congress and Kevin McCarthy, the former speaker, uh, Jose, that you were just talking about, actually announced that he was going to resign by the end of this month. So, Rosario, what do you think that uh, is going to mean kind of moving forward? Because we now have an even slimmer Republican majority in the House. It's looking tough for the House right now. They're going to be operating on a two-seat majority now um, on the House side. And that could go one of two ways. Either the, like, the slimmer majority makes it, you know, in an ideal world, more likely for bipartisanship. People kind of realize that if we want to pass any meaningful legislation and if we want to meet the new appropriations deadlines, we have to work together across the aisle to make sure that happens. Or it also puts blanks on both sides, on the right side and on the left. It puts those extremes with, uh, it gives them more power almost because, um, especially according to the current rules um, in which the House is governing, is that it only takes one person to cause a lot of havoc on the House side. So um, it almost emboldens folks that if, if they really want something done, they could kind of force their hand in a way. Um, but also, um, it could also lead to more bipartisanship. So we're really going to have to pay attention when folks come back from the holiday break in January to see how that pans out. I think everyone's kind of tired from all of the chaos that's happened over the last couple of weeks and really wants to get down to business and make sure that we're able to meet the January 15th deadline and the February 2nd deadline. But I think we're going to have to keep a close eye on that. That's a great point. Uh, so let's turn to those deadlines. While Congress has done this uh, continuing resolution function, uh, what we call a CR, uh, to buy themselves more time before they do the new appropriations bills many, many times before. This is the first time, at least that I recall, that they decided to split into a bifurcated CR uh, with four bills with a January deadline and then the remaining eight bills for a total of 12 having a February 2nd deadline, uh, which is causing plenty of anxiety here around the ACCT office, because yes, that is two days before our National Legislative Summit starts. So we're going to see a very, very busy January. Jose, can you share a little bit about uh, what we're looking for in each of these bills? Ag is part of the first package, and then um, most of our priorities will be in labor, health and human services, and education, which is in that eight bill package that has a deadline right before NLS. Yeah. So like you said, it's it's a new approach. Um, it's an interesting approach. I'm not going to say that it's a right or wrong approach, but but the rationale made sense, right? The The reason why they put those first four bills in January is because those are the least controversial bills and also three out of those four bills have already been passed by both the House and the Senate individually. So logic would argue that those three bills are ready to go into conference, should be quicker to move. Um, and then that fourth one is, is one that hasn't passed the Senate, but could easily pass the Senate because it's the least controversial. Although I will say that even though the Ag Bill isn't part of those, and it's usually not controversial, there have been challenges with that bill in particular because of the inclusion of SNAP and, and the idea around funding for for social safety net programs that are within the farm bill that many in the House majority want to see reduced even further. Um, what was 
helpful to us though and that was one fear leading up to it is that if they were going to put the defense bill in that first deadline and sort of split the defense bill from the labor age bill um, as you know the labor age bill is the largest non-defense discretionary bill out of the 12 of them and then the defense bill is one that has a lot of supporters from both sides of the aisle um, in years past when they've done what we call mini buses so small bundles of bills passed into law they've attached the defense and the labor age bill together to try to get support from both sides of, of the aisle. Um, so the, the fact that they've kept them together is really good. The challenge though, is that even though all of that logic makes sense, you know, these three have consensus, they've passed the house, they've passed the Senate, they can be negotiated. These remaining eights have a little bit more, more work to do. So we're gonna give them a couple more weeks. Nothing happens, no conference can start until there are top line numbers and it is, we're now in December, we're already in the middle of the fiscal year, and there are no top line numbers. There, the, the appropriators in the House and the Senate, Democrats and Republicans still do not see eye to eye on what that top line top line number should be. Um, earlier this year, the Fiscal Responsibility Act, which averted a debt ceiling, um, the debt ceiling reaching its maximum, in included in its law, caps for FY24 and for FY25, but those caps have, even though it's already on law, there's people wanting to go up higher than those and there's people wanting to go lower than those. And so until there is a top line number agreement, even if they have this bifurcated deadline, nothing is going to move. So, you know, we're hoping that they can come to a consensus before the holidays, because realistically speaking, once they can come back from the holidays, they only have a couple of weeks to actually draft legislation for that first deadline. And, and they can't draft the legislation until they know the top line numbers. So it's going to be, it's an interesting approach, but there's still a lot of, a lot on the line that's still hanging and unknown. That's a really interesting point that it sounds like it's far away, but when you take out the holidays and get everyone back in January, uh, that it's going to be really a sprint uh, to the finish line and we don't know whether or not they will make it, um, especially given the progress they've made so far. You know, speaking of where I think we thought they would be versus where they are, uh, last year at the National Legislative Summit, we announced that we were going to work on the Farm Bill for the first time in several years, several cycles. And one of the reasons that we were so excited to work on the Farm Bill, in addition, you know, to the the, the policy goals of helping our college students access SNAP and also looking to get ag and green uh, industry jobs uh, developed, particularly at our rural community colleges. We said, well, the farm bill always passes on time. They reauthorize it every five years like clockwork. So that it will be really good uh, that we're working on these new issues and that we're working on a bill that looks like it will actually pass this year. And unfortunately, <laughs> that's not yet how it played out. The The farm bill actually got punted into next year. So any thoughts on on what we might see on the farm bill in 2024? Yeah, I, I think, you know, we were very optimistic about the farm bill in this year, but we were not expecting to see the kind of fights that took place during the debt ceiling negotiations and during the agriculture appropriations bill. And a lot of those are really proxies to what is happening and what is holding up the farm bill. There's general agreement. Everybody wants to get the farm bill done. 
but there are disagreements around how much funding should be authorized in the bill and how those funds should be used. And so if you think about the issues we're following, you know, we're, we're trying to make sure that students have easier access to SNAP if they are otherwise eligible for the program. That's going to be a tricky issue because, you know, there are certain parts in Congress who want to make SNAP more restrictive and want to raise the threshold of what it what it takes to be eligible for the program and to access the program. Um, on the other side, when we talked about uh, what what was introduced, you know, what one of the good news was like we did get the bill introduced as a standalone, um, the Community College Agricultural Advancement Act. And this is the bill that we're hoping to get inserted into the farm bill that would provide community college specific funding for capacity building for workforce training programs in the agribusiness, energy and conservation business. Um, there, there's no issue from either side of the aisle on the program itself, on the merits of the program. Um, but there is the question of this is new funding, is there room for it? So that's where we have our work cut out for us. Um, but I think, you know, I'm always, I'm all the forever optimist, except this year tested my optimism very much with appropriations. <laughs> that's, but that's very fair. Yeah. I do think that even if, if it was punted to next year, I think there's a good chance of it moving next year. They're going to have to compromise. They're going to have to both sides take losses and take wins. But I think what is really motivating is that there are several key players in the farm bill negotiations who will not be returning in 2025. Um, you know, the chair in the Senate has announced that she will retire. So she will probably have a very, very vested interest in ensuring that her legacy programs are part of the- And who is that chair? Senator Sabanow is, is retiring. Um, and, and there's programs that she's very interested in, programs that she's always supported. So that's much like when, when Senator Alexander on the help side was retiring, his retirement was a catalyst to finally getting FAFSA simplification through. We're hoping that with her retirement, there will be a lot of goodwill from all sides on getting the farm bill through the finish line. So we have our work cut out for us in making sure that, yes, there's going to be issues around questions around funding levels and, and how those fundings are used, but that for us, our priorities are included because they are a drop in the bucket compared to everything that the farm bill includes, at least from, from my vantage point. Well, thinking about retirements last year, uh, when Senator Portman retired, uh, we thought that might be the impetus for getting the Jobs Act across the finish line. Uh, and unfortunately, that's not how it worked out. Uh, but Rosario, why don't you share with us some good news? There's been a lot of uh, uh, news that tests my optimism as well, Jose. But uh, Rosario, uh, we got some good news this week on the short-term or workforce Pell front. Can you share more about that? Yeah, so just as a recap, um, extending Pell Grant eligibility to short-term workforce programs has been the number one priority for community colleges over the last couple of years. And although we did see some progress, a couple of, they just came up short and you know we haven't seen a lot of movement there. Um, however, just earlier this week, um, Chair Fox and Ranking Member Scott introduced, it's called the Bipartisan Workforce Pell Act, uh, HR 6585. And um, that comes after months of closed door negotiations between the parties. We had heard multiple times that you know, they were negotiating, they were going back and forth, but I think some of us were not as optimistic that something would come from those efforts, but we are very happy to see 
that they introduced this bipartisan bill, I think it shows great promise and that it might come true this Congress. So I think everyone's very excited to see this momentum building around the bill and hopefully that we can get this past this Congress. It feels to me like uh, NLS brings us luck around this issue because it was around NLS two years ago that we had at the time the next big movement in this issue when when short-term Pell was included in the Compete Act in the House, which went on to become through conference and you know it didn't make it in the finish line like Carrie mentioned but hey it looks like there's some movement leading up to NLS again on this front. Yes which means those coming to Washington in February for the legislative summit are going to be well timed to talk about this issue um, particularly with their senators because this is a bipartisan house bill and the Jobs Act historically has always been bipartisan as well you know, there are some differences with the parties, um, particularly on the inclusion of for-profit institutions, uh, which will certainly be a challenge uh, to the conversation in the Senate. Uh, but the, the House is really trying to lead here on the bipartisan front uh, and create some momentum uh, for this issue that, you know, I would say everyone agrees should happen, but we have struggled to find agreement on how it should happen. But that uh, agreement that it should happen, I think, is is really the first and foremost hurdle. And we're over that one. Uh, and now we just need to work out the details. But the Senate, uh, you know, looking at bipartisan legislation, uh, has been working on some bills of their own, particularly reauthorizing uh, the Education Sciences Reform Act, uh, which is a bill that is, like many of our higher ed bills, past due for reauthorization, but we are now seeing movement on the Senate side on that front. This bill touches on community college work uh, less than some of the others, uh, but it is, I think for me, just encouraging to see education committees on both sides of the chambers or both sides of the Capitol uh, working on some, some bipartisan pieces of legislation. And, and you know, Carrie, Rosario mentioned earlier when we talked about what what are the possible scenarios of a even narrower majority mean? It could mean nothing gets done or there's an impetus for more bipartisanship. And so these are really, really good signs of a desire for bipartisanship, if not from the leadership level, at least from the committee and rank and, rank and file level. Um, we've heard some rumblings of a potential WIOA bipartisan reauthorization also. Um, we know the Senate has briefly touched, uh, tried to touch on this issue over the um, the last six months, uh, but it sounds like the House, you know, the House has been very active and the House is also looking to take the lead on WIOA. So we, we, don't, we haven't seen anything yet, but there's rumblings that that might be in the horizon as well. I think that would be really great. Last Congress, we responded to a WIOA uh, bill. Uh, fortunately, that one didn't move forward, but I think there's possibility for a bipartisan bill here. And we are hoping, you know, to be able to push some of our priorities, uh, particularly related to community colleges and how they work with their uh, workforce boards in the states. That's one uh, that we've been talking about for a while. And I think it's good news that they're also working on Ezra as well as now have this bipartisan short-term Pell Act uh, bill, because I don't think anyone is holding their breath on an, a reauthorization of the Higher Education Act anytime soon. 
even though uh, it was last passed in 2008. So we're now a decade behind on reauthorization for HEA. 2024, you know, we've talked a lot about what has happened. We've talked a lot about what is prospectively going to happen. And, you know, we alluded earlier to the deadlines on appropriations being right before um, our national legislative summit. So there's an impetus for having a strong voice from community colleges in DC, uh, right when all these things are happening, whether it's short-term Pell, whether, whether you know, on a best case scenario, Congress has actually completed their, their work on fiscal year 2024. And so we're looking at fresh funding levels and immediately pivoting to fiscal year 2025 advocacy, which, you know, we'll have to level expectations because as I stated earlier, the Fiscal Responsibility Act set into law the caps for that, and it is essentially flat funding. Um, so we may not have a lot of appropriation wins over the next year or so in terms of increasing investments in our programs, but protecting the funding that we already have is going to be critical. And, and also looking at some of these non-appropriations actions that are taking place, such as Workforce Pell, WIOA, Farmville. Um, I think the voice of, of our, our trustees, our community college presidents, our students, our stakeholders is going to be critical to make sure that some of these things move forward and move forward in a positive manner for us. And it's a good time to remind folks that registration for the Legislative Summit is open. It's at nls.acct.org. And the early bird deadline, December 14th. So if you're one of the first uh, listeners to this podcast, uh, make sure uh, you get registered before that deadline. But even uh, if it's after that date, we still really encourage you to join us. Registrations, of course, the first step for all of our listeners uh, who have already registered. Rosario, what are some other things they should be doing to prepare uh, to join us here in February? So right now is an excellent time to start putting together an idea of your invites, uh, who you want to be meeting with, your senators, your representatives, um, any department folks that you might want to reach out to. Start figuring out what those meetings are going to look like, who, who's going to be included, what you guys are going to discuss, what are some of the top priorities um, that are important to your school uh, that you want to advocate on and start sending out those invites. I know right now uh, things tend to slow down because of the holidays coming up, but it's a good time to, you know, send over your invite. You can also then pin the office um, when you return in January. This is a great time to start doing that because their calendars are going to be booking up, especially considering 2024 is an election year. Um, so I'm sure they're going to be juggling their legislative calendars as well as their election calendars. So um, make sure that you're sending those invites now. Uh, we have put up some information packets on the website and that has how to reach out to your members, how to find their contact information. And if you guys also have any additional questions, you can always email us at publicpolicy@acct.org, And we're always happy to answer any questions that you might have. And if I can add one more thing or two more things to that is, you know, part of those materials we've put out on the website already is, is a federal funds worksheet. As you know, every year we put out a federal funds worksheet template for, for colleges to fill out. There is nothing more impactful for members of Congress than seeing the work they're doing here have a seat put to work in their home districts and positively impacting their constituents. So showcasing how, how many federal funds are going to your institutions via Pell Grants, 
via other student aid, via institutional aid, and so forth. I think it's always helpful um, knowing that so that when you talk about it is is very important. Knowing, as Rosario mentioned, like, yes, you want to plan out who you're meeting with. But then once you know that, you want to make sure you understand what makes them tick. What's their priorities? What are or what are they excited about? What are some things that you are providing to their constituents that they are going to want to highlight and they're going to want to support? So I think those two things are important. And, and you know, we hear this all the time. And so I'm going to make another pitch. If you're able to bring your students with you, bring bring your student trustees, bring your student leaders. Um, numbers are good. They, you should always bring numbers. You should always provide those numbers after the fact as well. But in the moment, the things that the legislators and their staff are going to remember the most are the students. So they're going to be your best advocates. They're going to be our best advocates always. So if, if you're able to, make sure you bring students with you as well. And on that note, too, I know a lot of these meetings, we, we tend to be asking them for something. We're doing the ask on you know, we could use this funding or we could use this program, but this is also a good time to let them know not only what is needed, but what is currently working. They want to hear those success stories, kind of like what Jose is alluding to. They want to know how you've been using the funding, how you've been using these grants and the good that it's doing in their community. So that's also a really great thing to highlight during these meetings. And to help encourage you to bring your students, uh, we also have special pricing for student attendees of the conference. Uh, so be sure to register them, have them participate in the whole day. We also have some special afternoon uh, programming where the students uh, just meet all together. As well as all of our policy sessions and speakers, we've got an exciting list uh, of invites out and look forward to updating everyone about that. And so with that, uh, we look forward to seeing many of you listeners in Washington, February 4th to 7th. Keep a lookout for updates from us on all of these legislative issues. Our email that go out each Wednesday, latest action in Washington. Uh, if you're not receiving those law alerts, you can sign up on our public policy blog, which is now.acct.org. There's a sign up there. You can also sign up at the public policy at acct.org email address. Just shoot us a note saying you'd like to be added uh, to the weekly public policy list. For our members who are on ACCT Connect, we are also starting to add the monthly policy updates that we do for the ACCT Board of Directors to ACCT Connect so that all members can have access to that information. So there's many ways to keep informed and those who are registered for NLS will be uh, receiving additional materials as the event comes closer. So with that, thank you all for listening today and we look forward to seeing you soon.